Our scripture passage this morning is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible or don't have an electronic device that has a Bible, there are a few of those still in the back there if you'd like to use one of those. Luke 2, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord for us this morning. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when, when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came, came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swathing cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go into Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known, to the, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. This is God's word. Let's pray as we consider it together. Father, help us to hear with new ears a very familiar passage to so many of us. Thank you for the good news of Jesus. We pray that the gospel would ring forth from this pulpit and into our lives so that the gospel ring forth in our city. For Jesus' sake and for your glory we pray. Amen. I recently had a big birthday and so perhaps I'm just getting older but I, I have, I'm getting more sentimental even in my older age. I miss the fact that the Charlie Brown Christmas from 1965 doesn't come on automatically almost every night. Uh, during Christmas time. When I was a kid, I thought I'd, think, I'd watch that thing probably every day for, for most Christmases. If you're not sure what that is, uh, wow, first of all. Secondly, it's iconic. I mean, uh, between Charlie Brown feeling depressed over Christmas because it's so commercial, it's commercialized, uh, his attempts to direct the, the, the bizarre Christmas play that the kids con concoct, his choice of Christmas trees, uh, which, by the way, were aluminum trees really a thing back then? For those of you that were around, I, that's a scary thing. And then the best part of all was when Linus Van Pelt sets Charlie Brown and the rest of his classmates straight by saying, I know the meaning of Christmas, Charlie Brown. And from memory, he recites a good chunk of what we just read, Luke 2, verses 1 through 14. And from that point on, his friends stopped focusing on the commercialism and the snarkiness that they have associated with the holiday, and eventually ending the cartoon with the kids singing, 
Hark the herald angels sing. I don't think we'll see another production quite like that for a long time. But we need to come to this text fresh. Maybe we need to imagine that we're Charlie Brown or Peppermint Patty or Pigpen. I like him. Uh, or pick your favorite character. Because I think all of us need to be straightened out. All of us need to be reminded about what Christmas is really all about. And really, the, these, these words from Luke talk, talk quite a bit about that. So let's look at the birth in verses 1 through 7. We'll look at the announcement in verses 8 through 14. And the response in verses 15 through 20. Let me read again for us about the birth. Just the first three verses, we'll start there. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. So there's a power that compels them to go to Bethlehem. Caesar Augustus and Quirinius, the governor. And it's a census that's taken so that the people would be properly taxed by Rome. Have no, have no doubt, this is, this is Rome's IRS and their idea that they need to, to come so they can count the number of people so then they can tax them. You didn't cross the Romans, right? I'm sure there are probably plenty of people that get by, somehow skating by in our country that don't pay any taxes, that don't even don't file tax returns, right? They all live in Idaho or Montana or something like that. You know, those kinds of folks. You didn't do that to the Romans. The Romans seemed to have a way to find you if you didn't pay up. So why else would a man take his very pregnant wife almost his wife, really, on such a journey. It's because this power that compels him. This also is a, it's a, it's a, good, it's a good reminder that Luke is basing his gospel on, upon facts. He's just, I think it's almost, he, he kind of talks about the Caesar Augustus thing in verse 1. Then he mentions this Quirinius was governor. You know, this was the registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And people would go, oh yeah, I remember my grandparents telling me about that, perhaps when they read this account. Remember that this is a written by a real person who is, who is uh, following the facts. And then verses 4 through 5, it says, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So Joseph's return to Bethlehem for the census explains how Jesus can be born in the city of David, yet grow up in Galilee, be considered a Nazarene, Right? I don't, know if you, I don't know if any of you have this issue, but sometimes people ask me where I'm from. Well, see, I was born in Michigan, but I lived most of my life in Albuquerque. Uh, so it's, 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 perhaps some of you have that feeling. There's, where am I from? I'm kind of from different places, but also where, where do you live? Where do you call home? And so Jesus calls different, a few different places home or his birthplace, right? Micah 5.2 predicts the, that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. While Isaiah 9, which is cited in Matthew 4, speaks of Galilee. So Jesus is born in a royal city as befits the ultimate king of the Jews. But he's also from Nazareth, which we've talked about. Really, it's just a backwater hick town, if I could use that term. It's befitting an outsider. So he's from Bethlehem. He's from a royal city. But he also grows up in a place that only an outsider would consider home. It's interesting how Jesus is both kind of held up as this great figure, but also this very homely figure as well. Then verses six and seven. And while they were there, the time for her came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. 
after all this talk about angels and who Jesus is going to be, the birth was just kind of a ho-hum, normal thing. What's interesting, of course, is where Jesus was. He was likely born in a stable and was laid in a manger, right? A feeding trough for animals, not a cradle. The inn that's spoken of at the end of verse 7 is likely, more likely a guest room. You got to remember, of course, that they were surrounded by Joseph's family, an extended family. And so in one sense, there were lots of people that probably could offer them a place to stay. With the census going on, guest space was at a premium. The problem is we often think of the word inn, we think of red roof inn. We think of, we think of hotels. I don't think that's the idea. I think the idea is, is the idea of a guest room. And so that they didn't have a formal guest room, so instead they were invited to, look, you can stay down in the manger. Uh, not, not in the manger, you, stay, you can stay where the manger is, surrounded by the animals, and perhaps make, make some hay and make yourself as comfortable as possible. Why someone would not allow them, why, you know, you see a very pregnant woman, why wouldn't you just step aside and say, I'll, I'll give up my bed? But that's part of what Jesus was like. That's part of the narrative of his story. Uh, people didn't get out of his way. Instead, he was forced into a very humbling uh, experience. Essentially, you see the contrast between the emperor, Caesar Augustus, and the king of kings and lord of lords, Jesus. It's, you could not make it more pronounced. Caesar compels the world to be counted in order for him to grow richer. Jesus was born into poverty and will give his life for the world in order to pay for our sins. Augustus was Caesar at the height of the Roman Empire. But like Egypt and Assyria, Babylon and Persia and Greece, and even more, more recently, the United Kingdom, and perhaps even the United States at some point, his kingdom will one day fade into history. Jesus came to establish an everlasting kingdom that will never end. One day, Philippians tells us, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. My friend Chuck Isaac, who's a pastor, uh, one of the pastors of uh, Christ the King PCA in El Paso, who I went to seminary with, I remember he, 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 he preached one time in the chapel about this, about this very passage. And to, to quote Chuck a little bit, once the name of Caesar Augustus was revered, held in the highest regard. You, you even spoke it very carefully about when you would say it. Now, you would, now Caesar is the name of a salad. And Augustus is something you may name your dog. Or perhaps it's, you think of it as a calendar, the eighth, month of the eighth month of the year. While Jesus, his kingdom is still reigning. And his greatness will never be cur curtailed. That's the birth in verses 1 through 7. Then we have the announcement in verses 8 through 14. So if the birth was kind of ho-hum, the announcement is far from it. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The announcement that Jesus has arrived was brought to the halls of academia. Nope. It was brought to the palaces. Nope. It wasn't even brought to the temple, at least not yet. It was brought to some shepherds. 
blue collar, hardworking, but not the kind of people you invite to the, to the church Christmas party at five o'clock tonight, okay? They kind of smell bad. Uh, they were not educated. Uh, they, they, had, they had a mouth on them, as my mom might, might say. Uh, they definitely were lower class. They're the kind of people that you, you perhaps felt sorry for and gave money to, but you would never invite them to anything important. One of the themes of Mary's song, of course, from last week is the filling of the hungry and the raising up of the poor. And the shepherds were often hungry and were definitely poor. And so the announcement that Jesus arrives comes to them. And, and the angelic choir inspires fear because they embody the glory of the Lord. You notice it says they were filled with, with, they were filled with fear in verse 9. And by the way, I think that also reminds us that with all of our fascination about angels, very rarely do you actually ever hear somebody say, I was visited by an angel and I was filled with fear, right? We kind of domesticate that as Americans and say, I think an angel visited me and he was just the nicest guy and he put his arm around me and told me all kinds of nice things about me. No, when, when an angel comes, and usually in the Bible, especially in these two, these two chapters of Luke, usually inspires fear, inspires, what, what, what did Mary say? What kind of welcome might this be? So remember Isaiah 6 when you, when you think of these passages. Notice that the angels bring good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. We'll talk about the good news in just a minute. But the great joy replaces the fear. And we certainly, all, all of us certainly have all kinds of fears. Not just this Christmas, but always. Fear of our health deteriorating. Fear of loved ones uh, missing them. Uh, we have so much fear. This is a difficult time of year for many people who've lost loved ones. And so they, they, they promised that this is, this is, they have news that's going to bring great joy. That's for all the people. Shepherds too. And the good news is this. Unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Right? If we just take those three titles, Savior, Christ, and Lord, just one at, one at a time. The promised King, that is the Christ, is no other than God himself, the Lord, who's taking on flesh to dwell among us. His kingship will be inaugurated by his sacrificial death on the cross for sinners, hence the Savior. Now, of course, they didn't know that at the time. And the angels certainly probably knew about it, but the, 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 the shepherds probably heard that Christ the Lord is coming. That means that somehow David's, one of David's great uh, sons is going to come riding in on a white horse. But they should have known when they, when they heard the story, when they, when they heard that there was a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger, what kind of king is this? What kind of palace is he in, in this stable? So you can contrast the lowliness of the birth, even the sign, right, they're supposed to look for, the swaddling cloths in a manger with the grandeur of the angels in their song. Once again, Jesus is sung by this great heavenly choir that no one has ever heard anything quite like that before. But he's, it's contrasted by the fact that it's shepherds. They're, they're going to be the first people to visit, visit him. Peace with God is what the angels promise. Right? Peace with God. It's impossible to achieve on our own. We are the guilty ones, not God. We are the ones who have profaned God's presence because he is holy and we are not. We are the creatures who ought to tremble before our creator and God. No, we cannot achieve 
peace terms with God. Instead, God sends his son to us. Not to negotiate terms for our surrender, which he could have certainly should have, could have and should have done. But to pay the penalty for sin we could never do on our own. We have peace with God if you're, a, if you're a believer in Christ this morning. Not because God overpowered us, and he certainly could have done that. But because he wooed us and continues to woo us through his love displayed in Christ Jesus. You ever, ever ponder that? That God is so powerful and mighty he could have just overpowered us. But instead he woos us. He loves us. He sends his son to live and die in our place. That's how we can have peace with God. It's the only way to have peace with God. And some of you, for some of you, and perhaps for some, particularly some of our neighbors and friends and coworkers, this is news that, that there's, why do I need peace with God? I have, a, I have a perfectly fine relationship with God. They don't understand their sin. They don't understand how that alienates them from God. We offer peace with God through the gospel because of what this king did. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then we have the response of verses 15 through 20. It says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. I just want to say something. What happened to the sheep? They couldn't possibly have brought all those sheep with them. Now, I know that I, ha- you know, if you, if, you, if you have like the little trinket set of the, the, uh, of the uh, nativity, there's always somehow a sheep laying around, one or two of those. But these were probably, you know, dozens of sheep, I would, I would, I would imagine. I'm not a shepherd, never been one, never actually haven't even met one. Uh, but I'm imagining there are dozens, if not hundreds of, of sheep that they're caring for. Did they just pick two, two guys who are at the bottom of the, of, the, uh, of the seniority list and say, look, Tony and Joe, you got to stay here with the sheep. The rest of us, we're going to go over to, to Bethlehem. I'm not sure how that happened. It's not important to Luke. So I guess it shouldn't be important to us. But they made haste. It says in verse 16, went, went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, the whole picture, I, I'm guessing, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. That Mary treasures up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as had been told them. And so the shepherds make haste to find the newborn king. They talk about the, the saying concerning the child, which, which probably would involve talking about the angel. I can, I can only imagine the scene, right, where the shepherds are talking to Mary and saying, you're never going to believe what happened. And Mary's going to say, you saw an angel, right? <laughs> How do you know that? Well, you know, it's, it's not as uncommon as you think. But Mary, Mary's getting used to these angel visits, right? She heard from, her, her, she heard from Elizabeth, her cousin, about how the angel came to visit and, and talk with Zechariah. The angel uh, came to see her. Matthew 1 talks about the fact the angel then came to see Joseph and, and give him courage. And now the angels are coming to talk about her son to, the, to these shepherds. And so they make known the saying concerning the child. And notice the different reactions, the neighbors kind of wonder, at least I'll call it, it says all who heard it, I'm guessing that it would be their neighbors or members of Joseph's extended family. They wondered what the shepherds told them. They were kind of amazed. But kind of in a easy come, easy go kind of way, if that makes sense. 
Kind of like how we're amazed at a magic trick. And then five minutes later, we're on to something else. So they wondered at what, 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 the, uh, what, the angel, what the shepherd said to them. Mary has a different reaction. She ponders these things in her heart. And you'll see from later on in chapter 2, she does it again in verse 51. Mary's taking these, the wonders of all this and she's taking them, she's taking them personally. Right? She's, she's wondering. She's not just wondering out, out loud. She's really pondering these things. She's, she's taking all and she's adding these things up. She's amazed that Jesus, her son, is going to do see these great things. And meanwhile, the shepherds return to their flocks. Their response is to go back to work, glorifying and praising God as they do so. That's really an interesting uh, way, to, way to look at that. To wonder, to ponder, and to praise. It's not a bad description about what it means to put your trust in Jesus. Right? It's similar to, similar to the chair illustration I used several weeks ago. Right? We, I see the chair. I see it's well constructed. I think that it might hold up my weight. But until I sit in the chair and put my trust in the chair, then I don't really understand what it means. In the same way, the idea of wonder and ponder and praise. Right? We wonder, we marvel at who Jesus is. He is Savior and King and Lord. He is prophet, priest, and king, if I could use another expression. I marvel at who he is, and then I ponder about what this means to me personally. If I can trust, if I, can I trust this Jesus, my sins are forgiven, and I can have peace with God. And the result is a life given to glorifying and praising God. That shows that there's new life, there's new heart that God has made in me. Wonder, ponder, and praise. That's a really good description about what it means to know Jesus. And if your life is not full of glorifying and praising God, if you can't find even the darkest times of your life reasons to do that, I really wonder if you've really truly met Jesus himself. The result is a life given to glorifying and praising God. And notice they, they, they go back to work doing that. See, it's, it's a great, uh, almost as an aside, this is a great description about what it means to bring God to work. Uh, that You can do your job, not just as a pastor, but as an engineer or as a chemist or as an accountant or a homemaker or whatever it is that you do. You can do those things, glorifying and praising God. Somehow it's just different when a Christian does a, does a job. There should be an excellence to it, not because he or she is so good at what she does, but because of who he, does it, he or she does it for. So that's the meaning of Christmas, Charlie Brown. We exchange gifts because God gave us the greatest gift, his only son. We sing sentimental carols. And I feel bad. I dumped on those carols pretty hard last week. If you liked I'm Dreaming of White Christmas, or you like to sing about uh, Santa Claus kissing mommy around the tree, or, 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 or what, what, pick your favorite strange carol. We can sing those things, those silly songs, because we're giddy that we know the real reason for Christmas. We can play silly games. We can adorn our homes with decorations because now we have peace with God. And as we do so, we think about, for example, the war in Gaza. We think about the horrible things that are happening to both Jews and Christians, to Palestinians and Israelis. It's been going on for a long time, much longer than I've been alive. What's particularly 
crushing to me is to see the fact that Israelis are, no, are not going to be able to, are not, are not choosing to celebrate Hanukkah. And that Christians, uh, I think the, the, uh, in Bethlehem, they're, even, they're not even going to have uh, Christmas or Christmas Eve services this year. Because the death and the war is so in front of them that there's, it's hard to celebrate. I can, I can relate to that. But I look forward to the day. I look forward to the day, not only there, but when Christ comes again to make all things new. His second advent. When there will truly be peace on earth and goodwill toward men. That's the meaning of Christmas. Jesus came to live and die for sinners. And he will come again to make all things new. This is the good news of the gospel. Ponder it in your heart. Treasure it. And hopefully go away from this place glorifying and praising God. Let's pray as we come to the Lord's table. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for the peace that he gives us to us as individuals. And Lord, we do pray uh, for those events and those men and women around, halfway around the world. Lord, I pray for the church in that, in that part of the world that it would minister to those who are in need and there is so much need. Lord, help us to find those of us, to help, help to find those, particularly those who are lonely this season those who are hurting, those who are grieving. Lord, help us to walk with them and to love them and to tell them about a, about a Savior who was born this day, who is Christ the Lord. We ask this in your Son's name. Amen. Mm -hmm.